welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Dr. Ben Barlow, Chief Medical Officer at Experity. Dr. Barlow, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for letting me join you today. So what I always like to do before getting into the main part of my conversation is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So Dr. Barlow, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thanks. I'm a, I'm an ER physician by background. I've had a very rewarding career, so I haven't spent much time in the ER uh, I was in the Air Force for 14 years, and that kind of uh, come came to a highlight when I worked at the White House at the end of my military career. I was the senior physician for the White House Medical Unit under President Obama and then under President Trump for about two years. Uh, and then from there, I transitioned to uh, on-demand care, urgent care, where I was a CMO at uh, American Family Care, which had 300 clinics across 28 states, and I was there for four years. Uh, and then I transitioned to being the Chief Medical Officer of Experity. And so before we get into kind of unpacking what on-demand care means, I'm always interested to know kind of what first you got what first got you into healthcare, and in particular, what, what made you want to become a doctor? You know, you know, they always we always talk about medicine being a calling, and and I think that was how it was for me. I in seventh grade, I kind of started getting this feeling that I wanted to help people. My dad was Air Force, and we kind of had this service before self, how I was brought up. And I shadowed a uh, ER physician as a seventh grader as, in this program. And I walked into the ER with, with this ER physician. It was rural hospital, rural ER. And the sick trauma patient came in. He, he'd gone off his motorbike, and he tried to land. And he, he broke both his femurs and they were, you know, sticking out of his skin. And, and this team came from taking care of other people and just, you know, went on this patient. And the ER dog led and there was this team mentality and they saved this guy and it was so smooth. And I thought, wow, they'll pay me to do that? This is amazing. And so from then I was hooked and I wanted to be an ER physician since I was a seventh grader. That is a very impressive experience and probably fairly unusual. Uh, you know, I can't imagine there are too many seventh graders who are being brought in to shadow an ER doc anymore. Yeah, yeah. I I, I owe that man a lot because he really just brought me into the world and it was, a, it was a great first experience for me. So kind of given that passion for emergency medicine, you know, how does that then factor into on-demand care? And I guess as part of that, can you also help define what on-demand care means? Absolutely. I I transitioned into really medical leadership and I had this passion for kind of urgent care, on-demand urgent care. It's kind of, you know, similar and we're transitioning here. Um, and so after I left in the military, uh, I really wanted to get into where medicine that met the patient in their community. And that's kind of what urgent care, on-demand care was. And so what how I define on-demand care is it's anything someone thinks I need to get medical care today for this. And it doesn't matter what it is. And so the really, that's what urgent care on-demand care is. If a patient thinks today, oh, I have an illness, I have an injury, I've got a cut or I've sprained my ankle or I have a cold, I want treatment today. Or it's even evolving into things like, you know, I feel like I want to get my cholesterol checked today. 
or I want to get my blood pressure checked, or I think I need help navigating this complex medical system. And so that's what on-care demand is. It's really meeting the patients where they are and helping them navigate the complexity of the system and also providing care today and not three weeks from now. Yeah, and kind of with that immediacy or that kind of shift in focus, um, you know, I know you mentioned that you were in the Air Force and I suspect kind of experiencing the military medicine world. You know, did you learn any lessons there that helped translate and, um, you know, kind of drive what you've been working on in this urgent or on-demand care world? Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of emergency departments in the military uh, help support the primary care and really the rest of the hospital. It's kind of an entry system into the military healthcare complex because there's like there is everywhere a shortage of primary care physicians. And so from that, I was doing very little ER, real emergency medicine, trauma care, high acuity care, was doing more of this on demand, help the patients figure out where to go or if they can get treatment today or where, you know, what they can need to do to get help for this condition that they're trying to figure out. So as you're kind of helping patients in that regard, you know, how does that result in services being delivered differently than, um, you know, maybe comparing to it to the ED or even just going to your regular physician's office? A lot of it has to do with the operations and preparation to really do that vision of getting the patient to three places, right? And so you have these centers that you're prepared to take care of the patient's urgent need, but also have this operational efficiencies so that you know where to refer them to if they need it, right? If they need to see a cardiologist or need to see an orthopedic surgeon or what they need to see in the system, or do they need to go to the ER? And so when I think about on-demand care, it's really the providers and the staff and the operations working to fulfill that mission of, can I do it now? Do they need to go to the ER or do I need to do something now and hook them up into this medical system? Yeah, so kind of, as you just said, being able to figure out, you know, what is needed now or how do you connect them into other pieces of the healthcare ecosystem? You know, what goes into creating those relationships? Because oftentimes it feels like when you're reading articles or just seeing news stories about, you know, like the urgent care model or the on-demand care model, it's focused so much just on kind of that retail aspect without thinking about, the fact that it is within a broader healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, I think that that's the that's what I see the difference between the urgent care on demand space that's run by private, you know, private doctors or private groups and hospital systems versus Walgreens and CVS. I think that these are kind of different different routes that we're seeing here where you have the CVS and the Walgreens focusing on something else, but then you kind of have this urgent care on demand who's really focusing about that ecosystem of, of the healthcare system and being kind of the patient hub, I like to think it of, think of it as, and really being that in the communities for patients, where they live, where they work, where they're going to school, and not making them go to some complex hospital or a big retail center, right? They're, they're there in the communities to take care of people for that mission. Yeah, and I think that distinction you made is also probably a very important one um, you know, because kind of, as you said, I think when you look at those, you know, on-demand care solutions that are an extension of, you know, as you said, a hospital system or a physician group, there's built-in connection. Whereas, you know, when you're looking at like a Walgreens or CVS or any of those other ones, there might be for better or for worse tension between them and a traditional player. And it might be harder for them to hook in because they're looked at with, you know, skepticism or 
um, you know, some other differing viewpoint that might not be as beneficial. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I really think in our, you know, in our space and in the urgent care on demand spaces, it's really centered around the patient and the care that we're giving them and connecting them into the right spot. Um, because it's complex. The system is hard. It is hard for patients. I, you know, every time I'm a patient in the system, I realize how much value is just helping people figure out where to go and what to do. Oh, yeah, no, that, that is definitely true. It's, yeah. you know, even people who are within the system and feel like they have a good understanding of how healthcare works, once they've kind of flipped into a different experience or interaction with the healthcare industry, it's, you realize just how complex it is, even if you, you kind of have that theoretical understanding of it from, you know, you know being a professional within it. Right, exactly right. So kind of thinking about, you know, all those interactions, you know, did you see any particular lessons or changes that resulted because of the experience that had been gained throughout the pandemic? And kind of, it seemed like for a period of time, I would say a more more of an emphasis that had been placed on being able to get on-demand access. Yeah, this was, this was a very com complex answer. And there was some really good things that came out of how the urgent care centers adjusted and what we're kind of dealing with now. Uh, you saw urgent care centers really develop their uh, patient engagement system um, with how they kind of got patients scheduled, how they intake them. You know, no longer were patients just coming to your front desk and and saying, hey, I want to be seen. They were registering a line and you were truly trying to, to um, normalize your flow throughout the day so that you could really see more people and optimize that flow. But then also at the same thing, everything else kind of went away, right? We adjusted to doing COVID and doing COVID tests, and that's all we did. And so now coming out of the pandemic, it's a lot of back to educating patients that, hey, we're here for more than just your COVID and colds and flus. We can do a lot in the on-demand care space. We really want to be your solution to a variety of things. And so I think there was good things. There's operational efficiencies. We improved how we operate. But now we're kind of, there is some recovery that we're trying to go through now. Yeah, those are actually two very interesting points. You know, so from that patient engagement perspective first, you know, what did it look like before? You know, was, or you know, was there any type of ability to interact with someone outside or was it really just waiting for someone to come in the doors and then kind of work with them at that point? For the most part, it was a walk-in clinic kind of operation. You just were there, and as people needed you, they showed up, and you tried to see them in less than an hour, right? That's kind of our one of our goals in the on-demand care space. And so now when you didn't want people coming in sick, you quickly had to get these going. And so that was one of the things, you know, at Experity, we really concentrate, too, is that is that patient engagement to where now they can go online, book an appointment, see their wait time. You're prepared as a center and get them into your flow so that they don't wait for two hours, right? And so that really skyrocketed to the point where almost everyone in the urgent care space now uses some kind of appointment queuing system as before the pandemic, you didn't really see that. Yeah, and so an appointment queuing system sounds great because it's you know not knowing when you're going to be seen or you know it sounds like you know, maybe not quite the same as trying to have remote scheduling or, you know, on-demand scheduling, like, you, like, you know, is, it seems to have been so difficult with a more traditional office-based practice, but it's, you know, having that insight on both sides, because you said it helps the care teams within the centers, because then 
they can maybe triage a little bit and just have an expectation of where things stand. And then, as you said, from the patient perspective, you're not just sitting in a waiting room where that's the last place you want to be. That's exactly right. Yep. It's evening that flow. That's our goal, right? We want to see as many patients, but patients tend to want to come in first thing in the morning. Eight, nine o'clock is your busiest time of day. And you just can't handle a rush of 10, 20 people. I mean, we, at the height of the pandemic, some urgent care centers had 40 people lined up out front, right? And so you really had to tell patients, hey, we'll get, get you an appointment, but just come back in three hours and then you don't have to wait at all. And so that's kind of evolved into really the standard flow now in urgent care. Yeah. And I guess from that perspective, it's, you know, that's, I think one point of it is, it, as you, I think you're hinting at, there's a kind of a patient education aspect to it of, you know, it's still not like you're having to schedule days or weeks or months in advance, depending on what you're trying to get into, but it's, you know, kind of almost like the the, the old deli counter line, just kind of using better technology. So you're not just waiting around or um, you know, walking around the store waiting for the loudspeaker announcement. That's that's right. And the next goal is to talk back and forth and text with the patient, right? So that if something happens and we had an emergency come in and we got backed up, let the patient know, hey, go ahead and wait at home or keep shopping, wait 20 more minutes and then come in, right? So it's a, almost this two-way conversation even before the patient arrives just so their time is valuable. We know that. And so that's the whole goal is to keep that patient understanding them understanding that we value their time and that's part of what we do in the space. Yeah. So for that two-way interaction, you know, kind of what's the sophistication of that right now? And then where would you like to see it continue to build towards? I think it's so right now, kind of with our patient engagement systems, it is a two-way where the patient schedules and if you're keeping track of your wait time, they can see that. But if something happens, you can text with the patient, let them know, and they can text back with you if they're running late and you can adjust your queue based on where they're going. So it has come really far in the last couple of years in terms of that interaction. No, that's, I think that sounds great because as you said, it's, you know, it, it really just helps the flow for everybody, but then kind of turn to the other point that you made about the, you know, kind of the lessons coming out of the pandemic, you know, around providing more education to, to folks who want to utilize these services, that it's not just limited to kind of testing or well, COVID testing or, you know, really basic um, complaints. You know, so what are some of the effective strategies you've seen that have been able to help push that messaging out and gain uh, traction so people really get that better appreciation of what they can come in for? In clinic, um, really education is one of the main parts. And so there's a big unkept or, or unaddressed need for chronic medical conditions or for immunizations or for the other things that patients just don't know they need. And so one of the things I'm, I'm located in, in the South and a lot of the uh, urgent care that worked in the South, a lot of people have undiagnosed diabetes or hypertension. And so let's say you come in with your flu or cold and your blood pressure is through the roof, or I ask you about some of these chronic conditions, and we'll say, hey, we're going to address this today, but I really want you to come back in a couple of weeks when you're feeling better. And let's address the fact that your blood pressure probably needs to be controlled or that you've never. And so it's that in-clinic marketing of tell, kind of telling people you do more things. And then it's the follow-up engagement with the patients because now that they've seen you, you know, contacting them again and really following up with them and educating them on the things that they may not even know that they need to help them improve their health um, in their daily lives. Yeah, and I think kind of that interaction, that communication, you know, as you were saying, is very key 
And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Dr. Ben Barlow of Experity. We've been talking about on-demand and care and you know the evolving nature of it. And kind of that last point we're talking about is that kind of the patient education, you know, along with patient education of, around the scope of services that can be provided, is there also clinician education to get people to fully appreciate just what um, they can be doing as kind of that extension of the other services within an organization? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. And that's another, that's where this leadership piece really comes in. And that I'm, I'm passionate about is because over, over COVID, it really got highlighted where providers and staff who are amazing people for the most part, they really just got concentrated on COVID again. And they really lost perspective on this whole continuum in some cases of the care we provide. And so it really is as leaders of organizations engaging with our providers, seeing the other services that they're passionate about, but also enabling them from an operational standpoint, a testing perspective, a materials in my clinic, making sure I have the right things for them to provide these other services. So it's kind of an organizational movement to make sure you have the right people and the right things to treat people correctly for a whole breadth of problems. And thinking about that, that leadership challenge that you were just talking about, you know, how or kind of what are some of the effective ways you've seen from that leadership perspective to encourage people to share what they're seeing or hearing about and, you know, probably providing information to you on the upper levels of where, where resources might be lacking or maybe you're over-resourced um, and helping to strike an appropriate balance. It really starts with that. Why, why are you doing this? We had a clear vision during COVID. It was to, test people, treat people, and to really help the communities, right? That was a clear vision. So now it's about that clear vision of your organization and the, and the scope that you're providing. And then I think for leaders, it's actually going into the clinics and seeing the problems that your providers and your staff are having, seeing the patients that are coming in, see, working, looking at your workflow, and really working through those problems with your people. Because as I said, you have smart nurse practitioners, PAs, physicians, radiology techs who know their jobs. And we as leaders need to listen to them to help them to provide these services and then keep encouraging them to kind of increase what they're doing and always improving the quality of what they're doing. Yeah, no, I think kind of that focus on quality has obviously been something that the industry as a whole has um, been grappling with. Um, you know, and I think anyone that can find any way to advance that or um, to drive it up is going to you know, have a lot of people coming in asking questions and trying to tease apart how that's happening. Yep. Yeah, we one of the big things that right now I'm engaging with different leaders across the urgent care industry. I'm really fortunate to be part of Experity because we are in half the urgent care centers, right? So we the 11,000 urgent care centers, we interact with around 5,000 which is really, really cool, really a privilege, but it's about letting them know the information they can pull out of our systems to provide feedback to their clinicians on their antibiotic prescribing, their referral rates, their coding, right? So all this information we have, but it's about getting it back to the to those people in the clinic in a in a meaningful way so that they can improve their quality. And so that's really one of the things that we, we focus on uh, within our system. Yeah, and kind of also kind of thinking about that quality aspect, and uh, and then also back to the a couple of the other points you're making around you know informing patients of you know the additional types of services that you can help with. You know, I guess what is the ty standard type of population or the the usual patient population that you're seeing come into the on-demand clinics? 
Typically, we would have said it's people between 14 and 55, right? It was kind of this middle group um, that were only coming in for their really urgent illness or injury needs. But we really saw this expand during COVID to where there's more pediatric patients coming in. There's more Medicare populations coming in. Um, and so it's really starting to be more diverse in terms of the patients that we're seeing. Um, but it still is that, that kind of middle group there that is kind of don't have primary care doctors or they're trying to figure out the first time how to navigate the system. That is kind of really our, our core group. So if kind of that core group is that 15 to 49 um, cohort, which, you know, rightly or wrongly is maybe viewed as the healthiest segment of the population, you know, how does that influence the ability to get them to understand the broader scope of services? And then also to that last point, you kind of just made in passing of maybe they don't um, have a primary care or regular touch point with the system. How do you help, ed, or not educate, isn't the best word maybe, but how do you help connect them in and um, get them more tied into the broader scope of um, of the system? You really have to leverage technology because that's what that group is using, right? <laughs> so you got to go to their cell phones and you got to be texting with them and really understand um, what they don't know and how you reach them. And so I think it's a huge opportunity. Like I love being in this space in this age group because these are the people that are getting older and they don't realize that they need to have their cholesterol checked or they need to have these immunizations again, right? Or they need to have different stuff done. And so the possibilities is just huge for us in the space because of this is who we service and they don't know what they don't know. And so it's, it's leveraging technology and it's being aware and having your operations correct so that you can treat what they're there for today, but also educate them in, in the same path. It, so kind of given those opportunities, and as you said, it, it kind of opens the field for you to influence their perspective and understanding yep. of the healthcare system. You know, what is your ideal pathway for in, achieving those goals? It is to in, take care of whatever they came in for you today, right? Listen to them, engage them, treat them, but this also recognize the healthcare issues that they're having. Like I said in the South, check people for diabetes, if, even if they're coming in, because you can make a huge difference by early identif identification of some of these diseases. And so for us, for me, it's to have these operational efficiencies so that it's it's a, hey, let's go ahead. I know you're here for a cold, but I'm going to send off a hemoglobin A1C, right, which checks people for diabetes at the same time so that we can re-engage with you and screen for UVs and then also provide you information on why this is important, why you should address this now when you're 35 and 40 versus waiting till you're 60 when it's actually, you know, when a major bad things can happen to you. Yeah, and trying to be proactive in that regard and you know as you said i think trying to get people to understand and you know be more pro you know kind of get in in front of what might be occurring you know as you've gone through those interactions you know have you had any of the assumptions or um hypotheses that you might have had about the best way to engage them challenged and then evolve because you know just through the real world experience what I've learned through dealing with this is you need to have almost technology solutions to prompt your providers to be talking about these things because they just, you know, it's it's hard. They're busy. They just want to address what's there today. And so the easier you can make it on your providers and your staff to recognize these 
follow-up opportunities, these engagement opportunities, you'll be more successful. And to me, that's technology, that's prompting. There are the United States, you know, Preventive Task Force Service has all kinds of recommendations. There's all kinds of recommendations. It's tough to keep it in your head. And so you really need to have technology as a solution to prompt these types of interactions. And if you want technology to be operating in that manner, are the available technology solutions meeting those goals or, you know, are they still a work in progress? I think it's still a work in progress, but medicine, I always think it's a work in progress because we're always learning from our patients. We're always learning new things and technology is always evolving. And so it's always, it's always going forward to see how we can do, do things better. Um, and so and it's different because then you, you have all these privacy and HIPAA and all this other stuff too. So you have other complexities that come into it while you're trying to keep up with technology. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great point. It's, you know, I think, as you said, everything should always be viewed as a work in progress, because if you ever feel like you've gotten all the answers, then you're probably not asking the right questions. That's right. Yep. So kind of even coming from that perspective, I guess, what would you what would you like to see technology do or what recommendations would you give for maybe some of the technology developers of what they should be focusing on? Um, because maybe they're they're not fully aware of that on the ground experience that you have. You know, honestly, that's why I'm at Experity, because I really think that we have a long way to go in terms of the technology and how to engage patients better. And to me, it's all about what I was talking about earlier, those workflows and taking down any barriers to care and barriers to information for providers to quickly access the information and to act on it, right? We have an hour. I have an hour when that patient walks in my door to when my patient leaves. I have an hour. I need to take care of what they're there for, but I also need to recognize their current healthcare problems that they don't know about, screen them, and provide recommendations and enter them into the system. And so that flow is a complex flow that is different for every patient that we really need to fine tune with technology because the providers, they just need help getting this done fast and efficiently. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because it's, you know, as you said, if you can focus on that efficiency and supporting what is going on as opposed to trying to maybe just break things apart and impose what, you know, the outside thinking feels like it should be, you know, if you keep going with that approach, you're going to cause a lot of frustration. But um, believe it or not, we're already almost at the end at the end of our time. So I'm going to pose one final question, which is, what do you think is the biggest opportunity for the healthcare industry at the moment? And how can it go about seizing that? When I think about the healthcare industry as a whole, and I'm just going to really think about the whole system, but then us and on-demand healthcare, it's really getting this quality care initiative to the next level. We need to stop doing the things that don't matter and do more of the things that do matter. And to me, that means these operational efficiencies that help patient identify some of these well-being things that they need to be addressing, these chronic, their acute issues, but also their chronic things that affect their lifestyle and helping the people, the providers and the staff in the clinics do them fast and accurately um, going forward. Once we can do that, quality will improve, cost will go down and the whole system is going to get better. Yeah, no, I think a very inspirational message to finish with, because as I said, believe it or not, we are already out of time. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Ben Barlow, for a great conversation today. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I, I really, I uh, really enjoyed it. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag HCDEJURE. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.